Welcome to Murder and Mayhem, the podcast where we explore the dark and mysterious side of writing. It's a world filled with more evil and crime than you can shake a sharpened stick at, where people save the world from certain destruction, where spies, terrorists and thugs abound, and where the killer could be someone in your very own home. It's also a world often filled with flawed heroes and likeable villains. But above all, it's a place where we explore the authors who tell these very stories, what makes them tick, and how their words manage to take us to some of the darkest corners of our imaginations. Hello everyone, my name's Valerie Koo and I'm host of the Murder and Mayhem pop-up podcast. This episode is brought to you by the popular online course, Anatomy of a Crime, How to Write About Murder. Over eight spine-chilling modules, you'll delve into each step of the murder process, including the psychological, forensic and legal aspects of homicide from premeditation right through to prison life. Brought to you by one of the world's leading centres, for writing courses, the Australian Writers' Centre. Using both real and fictional cases, you'll discover the many faces of killers, the police who pursue them, and the victims who get caught in the killer's trap, all designed to enhance your crime and thriller writing and help you bring writing about death to life. It's a self-study course with a full audio program, including accompanying handouts and videos and resources where you can view real forensic and police reports reports and a dissection of real murder scenes. Find out more at murdercourse.com. That's murdercourse.com. Thanks for joining us on today's instalment of the pop-up podcast series, Murder and Mayhem. This is Valerie Koo, and I want to reach out and just say thank you to everyone who has given us so much feedback about the podcast so far, and also feedback about the free ebook which you can get uh, to accompany this podcast. That ebook, of course, is 31 Days with the World's Best Crime and Thriller Authors, and it's called A Month of Murder and Mayhem. You can download it for free if you haven't already ready at murdercourse.com. Thanks to those of you who've reached out to us on social media and also sent us messages that you've been enjoying the podcast and also to those of you who have now done the actual course, Anatomy of a Crime, How to Write About Murder. It's been fascinating to see what you've got out of it and what you've learnt from the course. So I'm so thrilled that so many of you are enjoying it. Now, today we are talking to Sydney Bauer, who, now that's her pen name. She actually has a different name. And many, many moons ago in another lifetime, I knew her under that, under her real name. So it was uh, great to have a chat with Sydney Bauer to talk about how she writes her thriller books and how they're, and how she's been able to make that transition from the world of TV into becoming a novelist. She has written uh, The Third Victim, Move to Strike and Matter of Trust. So it was fascinating to have a chat with her um, about her creative writing process. Now remember, of course, these interviews originally appeared in our other podcast with the Australian Writers' Centre called So You Want to Be a Writer. And that's where we interview writers and publishers and editors from all over the world and all walks of life. And you can find that on iTunes if you search for So You Want to Be a Writer. Now, we're pretty excited about it because it was recently named by the US 
based website Book Riot as one of the 30 most outstanding writing podcasts in the world. So yeah, thank you Book Riot. If you'd like to check it out, do search for So You Want to Be a Writer. But if you're just a lover of crime and thriller writing, stick with us here at Murder and Mayhem. Uh, And I hope you enjoy listening to Sydney Bauer. So, Sydney, thanks for joining us today. Oh, thank you for having me. Now, you've had a lot of experience in both print and visual media Mm -hmm. and spent some time as a court reporter. Now, Mm -hmm. how did you get into writing novels, especially crime novels? I know. It's kind of a bizarre thing. I mean, yeah, absolutely my background is is in journalism and um, in television. It was in publishing and programming. Um, it was really a fluke, to be honest with you. I um, had my daughter in 1999, and then I was still working part-time for Channel 7. And um, then a few years on from that, my husband's firm transferred him to London. So we all, you know, traipsed off over to London in the middle of winter, which was fantastic. And um, my daughter was in nursery school, and my husband was working long hours. And it was the first time, you know, since I'd left school that I wasn't going to university full-time or working and so I literally sat down on my little London terrace, um, you know, and wrote the two words, chapter one. I mean, obviously there was a lot of research and, and thought that went into what I was going to do, but I basically drew on my experience from TV to set up the, you know, the legal thriller genre and um, sort of went from there. And did you draw on the experience as court reporting as well? Did that influence Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I, I certainly tried to. I mean, I was, I was court reporting for The Australian and The Telegraph at a very interesting time. It was, um, it was kind of that, that um, um, underbelly time in, in Sydney where the, the Tom Domican stuff and was still going on and uh, Christopher Dale Flannery's wife was on the stand. I did the bikey trials after the big bikey massacre at Penrith. So... There was a little lot of interesting stuff there to draw from. However, considering I was sitting on my books in the US, specifically in Massachusetts, in Boston, the laws of Massachusetts are obviously grossly different to the um, the laws here in, in New South Wales. So I had to literally sit down and learn the general laws of Massachusetts and um, you know look at it from an American perspective. Wow! And why did you decide to set your you know stories in Massachusetts? Well, you know, once again, it was it was the influence of TV. I was looking for seven and ten at times where, you know, I launched shows like Ari McBeal and The Practice, and um, Boston Legal was about to happen, and um, Crossing Jordan was set in Boston. Mm. And I think Boston, I mean, Boston appealed to me because it it's like Sydney, it's a harbour city, but it's a very small city with that rich history. I mean, the first everything is in Boston, the first American library, the first American public park, and, you know, it was where the, the Declaration of Independence was first read out from their state house there on Congress Street. So it was small, it's a very visually beautiful city, and um, it has a nice eclectic mix of suburbs and um, and neighbourhoods that have different racial tinges to them. So it, it kind of it hit the right mix with me. And so have you been to Boston? Yeah, I mean, I go there regularly. Obviously, I have to do for the research. Um, that's a big part of what I do. I mean, I like to get stuff as, as legally correct as possible. So yes, I do have friends in the, you know, the district attorney's office and I have a defense attorney friend and I go to the jails and I visit the superior court and the medical examiner's office. And and over the years, I've actually built up a lot of really good friends and good contacts there who who help me with getting things right. And in real life, is it like 
Ali McBeal and crossing Jordan. And no, it is. I mean, Boston, what you see is what you get with Boston. I mean, admittedly, there are some poor areas, particularly down in, you know, Dorchester and South Boston and and in Roxbury, there's, it's quite depressed there. But, I mean, around the area of Boston Common and the public gardens and downtown crossing and the financial district and on the harbour there and the north end, which is an old Italian section of Boston, it's really, really beautiful. And then, of course, of course, across the Charles River, you've got um, Cambridge, which is where MIT and Harvard are. So it's, um, it's, it is really as beautiful as you see on television. And take us back to when you actually first started writing that mm-hmm. novel. I mean, a lot of stuff happens between when you first started writing and it gets to a publisher. Yeah. Tell us about that process. How did you get into it? How did you, you know, end up getting published? What happened? Well, I think it was a, a lot of hard work and, and part luck. I mean, the first thing I did was I, I contacted a guy at Boston College who was a historian who knew, knew everything about Boston and Massachusetts to get a feel for the city. And because I was living in London, Boston was only seven hours on a plane away, so I went there and did some research and, um, you know, I came up with my main characters and, and gave them proper lives and identities. And um, I wrote Undertow, largely while I was living in London and then I got back home here and the, getting the publisher was kind of a bit of a fluke. We were in the, on the Gold Coast actually for a family holiday and um, I picked up a book on the shelf there of, of an apartment that my father-in-law owned and I read the book. It was a great book and it was based in America and in the UK and then I went to the front of the book and it said, you know, so and so the author lives in Brisbane. I thought, oh my God, this guy is doing exactly what I'm doing in that he's an Australian, but he's basing his books internationally. And also as part of his acknowledgements, he actually said, I would like to thank um, Kate Patterson for um, taking my call. Mm-hmm. And I thought, okay, well, <laughs> Kate Patterson took his call. Maybe she'll take mine. Um, and Kate was the first publisher here that I approached in, in, with an idea of somebody publishing Undertow. And luckily, you know, within a matter of a few weeks, um, I had a publishing deal. So I, in that aspect, I was kind of lucky. Wow, fantastic. Yeah, but I mean, I guess I had put in, I put in a good solid year's work previous to that. So, um, you know, I, the, the background work was there, but luckily Kate was um, had the confidence enough to, you know, to take me on. Mm. And with that debut novel, Undertow, did you decide then that it was going to be a series or, or later? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, I think my back, being my, once again, my background in TV, I, I didn't know what else to write. I had exposed myself to so many brilliant American-based series, you know, like your West Wings and your Law and Orders and your 24s. And mm. I wanted David, my main character, to have that kind of longevity and the characters around him to become people that the readers knew and loved. And besides the fact that each individual novel actually has a different crime and a murder story going on within it, I wanted them to watch the characters grow, mm. you know, from book to book. Did you, when did you decide that you could do writing full-time? When did it occur to you, I'm a full-time author? You know, it was, it was well, I, oh, the thing is, I mean, I got the publishing deal and then I was contracted to do a book a year. So mm. that kind of made it important that I was concentrating on it. Um, and also I had a small child, so my priority was actually being a mum. Mm. But writing and being a mum are kind of two go really well together in lots of ways because like even now my daughter is nine um but I can still take her to swimming in the mornings and take her to school and pick her up from school and take her to soccer or do whatever she needs to do and make my writing hours the school hours or at night when she's gone to bed or on the weekends 
So it's a job where I don't have to sort of be in an office from 8.30 to 6.30 like I did when I was in TV. Mm. Um, you know, you can pick and choose when you when you have the time to sit down in front of a computer. And when you do write a series, now you're on you're writing book number five at the moment. I'm actually writing six, isn't that weird? Oh, my goodness. I've, I've finished five and I'm editing five. Right. So you've um, got – how does that work? Do you work on them concurrently? Do you actually think of your stories ahead? How does that work? Um, I'm very, I'm, it's a personality trait. I'm very organized and structured kind of person. So I write calendar year. Um, right. I sort of, when the school holidays finish in, you know, the end of January, that's when I start my next book. And I like to finish it by the end of December. So, but obviously while I'm writing that book, I'm editing the previous one. I'm promoting the one before that and often editing the one before that for the U.S. market. So mm. even though I'm like I might be writing book six now, I'm editing book five, I'm promoting book four, and I'm working on editing book three for the U.S. So it kind of has to be a full-time job because I really literally don't have time <laughs> to do much else, to be honest with you. Mm. But it's great fun. I really enjoy it. And your background is in journalism before you went into TV, but yep. both journalism and what you did in television is very different to writing fiction. How yep. did you learn the skills and transition into writing fiction? Yeah, and that, that was tricky. I think it was basically exposure to people who were clever. To be honest, I, I, I've always been a bit of a sponge and part of my job when I worked for 10 and 7, particularly at 7 when I was um, director of programming in Sydney, I was traveling to the U.S. a lot, and I had the wonderful opportunity to meet with people like Stephen Bochco, mm. who created shows like NYPD Blue and Hill Street Blues, and David Kelly, who created Ali McBeal and Boston Legal and The Practice, and Dick Wolf from Law & Order. And, and mm. you know, I, I guess I, I drew my inspiration from them. So I think it was a combination of, of working on those quality American dramas and the fact that I'd had the journalism background helped me sit down and, and write a book. Mm-hmm. Do you think you'll always stick with crime? Do you, have you, do you want to write about other things? I don't know. I mean, there's been some... I... You know what? When I, I, one of some of my favourite authors, people like Lee Child or Michael Connolly, or I'm actually quite into Mark Griminius at the moment. He's a, another legal thriller writer from America. Um... If Lee Child came out with a book that wasn't the Jack Reacher, who was his main character, I think I would be kind of disappointed because I like Jack <laughs> and I know him now. Mm-hmm. And I'm just wondering how many readers I would disappoint if I came out with a book that wasn't a David Kavanagh book because both here and in the US, gratefully, he's getting a bit of a following. Mm. But yeah, if, if um, you know, my American agent sort of says to me, I'd love to see you have a try at something like what Jodie Bacolli does or... Or what have you, because America, in America, ninety-two um, percent of the readership is women buy a lot more books than than men. Mm. So, um, you know, I've got commercial reasons, I guess, to to try something new. Um, but I'm happy doing what I am at the moment. And you know, I love David, and I love Sarah, and I love the characters mm. that I've created, and they're very much part of my life now. So it would be difficult to um, let them go. So David, as your main protagonist, how did he come about? How is he created? Is he based <laughs> on anyone? Um, he's based on, I guess, a, an accumulation of television characters like Bobby Donnell from The Practice and mm-hmm. maybe there's a bit of um, Jack Bauer from 24. Um, he's a, a strong, he's an everyday man 
with his own personal flaws. But what I love about him is when he takes a client on and he has this personal policy that he only takes a client on when he believes in their innocence, he fights for them with his entire being. I mean, even if it comes to putting his life at risk and sometimes unwittingly putting other people's close to him's life at risk, he, I love the way that he never gives up, even when things seem beyond impossible. So, um, I, I feel like, you know, I hope he's part of me. I hope there is part of me in him and, um, because I, I think he's a good guy. Uh, so he's kind of an accumulation of people that I know and people that I've, I've pulled on from fiction. Now, you've mentioned a lot of shows that I watch and I'm a big fan of, 24, The Practice, Ali mm-hmm. McBeal. Um, are there plans or, or hopes for David Cavanagh to make it into the small screen? Yeah, you know, of course, that's my dream. It's um, what I've learned with publishing, and this is very difficult for somebody who who worked in TV and got the ratings every morning because everything's so immediate in television. Mm. Publishing works very slowly, mm. and um, I, you know, I have been given advice by people who know that you have to do things in order. So the first thing was establishing myself here, and now I'm in the process of establishing myself in the U.S. And then with that weight behind you the sales figures and so forth, then you can go and approach studios in Los Angeles. So we're on the cusp of doing that now. Mm. Um, so I guess I have to cross my fingers and see how it goes. Sure. Have you actually spent time writing television scripts? No, but I, I do. Ironically, I think that adapting my books to script would be actually easier than writing a book only because it's what I'm used to compared mm. to I've had more experience with scripts than I have with um, novels, I guess. Um, a good friend of mine, Shane Brennan, who is executive producer of NCIS, he's an Australian. Mm. And I was over there seeing him in LA recently, and he gave me a whole lot of advice. So I'm really lucky that I, you know, I have those contacts and friends who um, sort of have my back and are trying to steer me in the right direction. Mm. Now, the name Sydney Bauer seems like a very familiar name, especially when you watch those sorts of shows. That's mm-hmm. actually a pseudonym, isn't it? It is, yeah. My name's Kimberly, and... Um, the reason for it, I guess, back in Undertow days was my first novel was um statistic show here in this country that a lot of men don't pick up that genre being legal thriller written by a female. So we wanted to come up with a name that I could be either male or female, and I settled on Sydney because I stole that from a show called Alias, um, mm-hmm. which um, the lead character played by Jennifer Garner's name was Sydney Bristow. And the Bauer, of course, comes from Jack Bauer in 24. Famous name now. I know. It's a good name, <laughs> right? Great. I mean, and also, for authors, um, having a name up the top of the alphabet apparently is a plus because people browse books A to Z in bookstores, and I don't know how many people actually get to Z. No. <laughs> so, and apparently B is on eye level. I, I'm not sure about this, but... Um, Bauer apparently is a good name to have. Great. It's like Dan Brown or like Lee Child. Lee Child is not Mm. Lee Child's real name. Right. Um, So they chose those, I mean, Dan Brown, that is his real name. He lucked out, I guess. But a lot of authors do choose those names for those reasons. So tell us about your writing day. Just take us through. Do you have a routine? Are there certain things you do before you start tapping away at the computer? What what happens in your writing day? Yeah, obviously my day starts with... My daughter's a swimmer, so I'm one of those wonderful mothers that gets up at 6 a.m. to go to squad. Um, <laughs> and I often swim at the same time as her, so which I did this morning. Uh, that's why I'm quite cold. Um, so it starts with things like that, taking her to school. And then, you know, I'm really such a mundane 
person that then goes on to things like housework. And then, <laughs> then I sit down and write. What I often do is I read over what I wrote the day before, before tapping the next section. And my non-writing hours are spent thinking about what I'm going to write the next day. So my head is actually, even when I am doing those laps in the pool or what have you, my head will be on how I'm going to start that next section and whose perspective it's going to be from and where the story is going today. So um, I would write then from, you know, from roughly 9.30 through till 2.30 and then pick my daughter up or do whatever I need to do. And then often that night I might read over it again and, and start my head working on what comes next. So, you know, it is... I mean, I don't know if this is an upside or a downside, but this is a job where the work is never actually out of your brain. Mm. Um, it's there constantly, you know, at 3 a.m. or 2 a.m. or, you know, 8 o'clock in the morning. Or it, it, There's always some idea that's um, trying to push its way to the front of your brain. So um, it's, it's a constant flowing thing. Is that stressful or is that a good thing? You know, some days it's incredibly stressful because there are days where things just aren't working. Um, where Because my books are so complex and intricate and they always have a big twist at the end. And, of course, I know what's going on, but I can't reveal to the reader what is going on, you know, through the course of the book. Mm. So I'm always trying to cover myself whilst leaking enough clues so that the end makes sense. Um, so with the genre that I write, I, I do make it hard on myself. It's, um, some days it's, you know, soul destroying, Mm. but then other days everything falls into place and you think, oh God, that worked, you know? So you have to take the good with the bad. And from the outside, you know, you're a mother and you take your daughter to swimming and that sort Mm. of thing. And you used the word mundane before, but if somebody was actually in your head and they could (laughs) actually see the murders and the images and the crime, is it, how do you actually think about crime and kind of some vicious or violent things quite a lot? I'm to say, I mean, it is that duplicity of life. I mean, I, Obviously, part of my research has taken me to some really interesting places, like I've been to the FBI in Quatico and the CIA in Langley. And, mm. you know, there was a moment at the CIA where I, I had this great agent, this great guy who'd been undercover for 25 years showing me around, and I said, would you mind excusing me for a moment? I I walked out over that famous eagle seal on the floor, you mm. know, you see that on TV shows, and I walked out to the front to to make a phone call and I made this phone call back home because I was worried that my husband would forget to put my daughter's dancing gear in her school bag because she had danced that afternoon. Oh, my God. And so, yeah, one minute I'm I'm talking to spies and the next minute I'm worried about um, the dancing shoes. <laughs> so this is, this is my kind of weird existence and it happens to me all the time when my head will fall into you know, FDI mode and then fall back into mum mode at any given time. But, I mean, I guess that's the fun of it, right? (laughs) Now, crime can be very complex, though. Do you plan it out in your head or do you have a a way of planning out on the wall at at home? Or how how do you actually sort it all out? Yeah, it's mostly my head. I do, before I start a book, I write down, I write down what I call ideas. But inevitably, when you're writing a book like I am, things change. I mean, I like to know... 
human their characters are, what the crime is, and where it's going to end up. But inevitably, when you're halfway through the book or two-thirds through the book, you think, oh, my God, you know, there is a better way to do this. I'm, I think I should do this rather than this. And so for those reasons, I let it be fluid because um, every work is a work in progress and you are bound to think of a better way to do it when you're in the middle of the book rather than when you're sitting down in front of the computer on the very first day trying to map it all out. Mm. So I let myself um, change. I changed my mind. I mean, I basically know who did it and why it was done and what the crime was, and I can foresee the problems that David is going to have in solving it. But there are details that obviously come to me when I'm sitting in front of the computer. Mm. So it's uh, both a combination of structured planning and allowing yourself to um, you know, be flexible. Mm. And now if Kiefer Sutherland is Jack Bauer and, <laughs> and Dylan McDermott is, is Bobby Donnell, who is David Kavanagh for you? You know, everybody asks me this question <laughs> and I have no, I never really have a good answer. I mean, sometimes I think Matt Dillon because he is a Bostonian mm. and he's a nice guy and he's got, as well as having that edge, that Jason Bourne edge about him, he mm. does have that bit of vulnerability and softness that I like. Um, but everybody I meet, particularly when you go to the U.S., everybody has an opinion, and some of them I think, oh, my God, no, where did you come <laughs> up with that? Um, so I kind of like the idea that, I mean, David looks a little bit different in everybody's mind, even though I describe him in the book. Um, casting is fun, you know, so I, I'm really not too sure. Mm. Um, <laughs> what what are your plans at this stage? Is it are you currently just seeing no end to the David Kavanagh series, and and you just sort of keeping on going, or or um what 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 are your plans in the next say yeah. five years? Look at the moment, I think I'm really still enjoying it. I mean, the sixth book I'm writing now. Well, I think what helped was with the fifth book, which comes out next year. I did something a little bit different. Well, the first four books were set largely in Boston with a bit of Washington in there and what have you. But David, I wanted to learn more about David myself. And all through the books I had mentioned that David grew up in New Jersey, specifically um, a working-class town called Newark. And so what I did with book five was I created a situation where David was called by a childhood friend. And the childhood friend is quite a prominent senator in New Jersey now. He's accused of murder. And David goes back home to represent this young, this boy, who's now a man, who, who was one of his two best friends when he was in school. Mm. But the twist to it is that the friend is accused of killing a girl who was also part of their friendship group when they were young. Mm. So he's defending somebody, a friend, who killed a friend. Mm. Um, and he's also working in New Jersey, which is he's a fish out of water because he practices in Massachusetts and every single state has a different set of laws. Mm. So um, I think as long as I mix it up like that, it, as long as I move David around a bit, and even if I keep him in Boston, which he is back in Boston for the sixth book, mm. I give him a different sort of defendant, a different sort of fact, um, case mm. to tackle, as long as I can... Uh, I'm able to keep it fresh like that, then I can't see an end to it at this point. Mm-mm. And so finally, do you have 
any advice for people who are listening to this and who are thinking, you know, I'd really love to to break into it in the same way that, that you have, what would your advice be on the steps that they should take to get into writing? Yeah, you know, it's it, look, my advice is persistence and determination um, to never give up, to sit down and write the two words, chapter one, then you're locked in, you've made a commitment to yourself to keep going. Mm. Um, with me, I mean, I know it sounds like I've done it easily, but when it comes to America, for example, I have a pile of rejection letters from agents who did not want to take me on or who didn't even open my letter to begin with. Um, now I have got a great agent in New York, but that took time and it took um, a lot of heartache and frustration. So I think the message is that you are everybody can do it. It's it's not brain writing is not brain surgery. It's more to do with passion. Mm. And as long as you have the passion and you're willing to sit through the rejection letters and the and the and the frustrating times, then I think it's it's a wonderful job. It's, I mean, look at me. I'm a, a, a an Australian who's worked in journalism and TV, and now I'm a mum who who who's my you know my main priority is my family. But yeah, I have days where I am at the FBI, and I have days where I'm watching an autopsy at the Boston Medical Examiner's office, and so it's opened up a whole new world to me and a whole new group of friends um, that I would never have had if I had not started down the road of, of becoming a writer. So I've been incredibly lucky and I think, you know, that's my advice is to keep at it and I know that when you when you do, you know, kick those goals, that it's a, it's a wonderful job to have. And on that note, thank you very much for your time today. Oh, thank you so much. Thank you very much. Hope you enjoyed listening to that interview. I just love the fact that she chose her name from um, Jack Bauer from 24, the television series 24, uh, played by Kiefer Sutherland, and also Sydney Bristow from Alias, you know, a couple of real action-y type people, um, and that was played by Jennifer Garner, to, to come to her pseudonym. And I'd like to think that in the coming years, it won't be necessary to have a pseudonym or to pick a name that is less female. There are so many fantastic female crime and thriller authors out there. Of course, there's Louisa Larkin, but she is writing as L.A. Larkin. And uh, it's it's kind of like, remember that, I don't know if many of you will remember the old television series Remington Steel, where the uh, key detective in that was actually a woman, but she made up Remington Steel because it sounded male and it sounded like um, something that, uh, that, that clients would respect, a name that clients would respect. Um, hopefully that is coming, that kind of mentality is coming to to an end. Interestingly, I did meet a writer from Canada who her real name is actually Louise and she basically then started uh, writing under a male name and found that she was getting commissions and uh, acceptances far more writing under a male name than writing under her female name of Louise. And she did that actually, wrote under a male name for many years until she was about to be outed uh, by, by someone and she decided to out herself and, and come clean but it's kind of I think it's a little bit of a shame that that has to happen or that that has happened but hopefully over time it's going to become a thing of the past anyway I hope you enjoyed listening to Sydney Bauer 
The Murder and Mayhem podcast is brought to you by the Australian Writers' Centre, one of the world's leading centres for writing courses, with online and classroom writing courses in all genres of writing, including crime writing. Students enrol from all over the world. You'll find a course to suit your needs right here at writerscentre.com.au.